will use the metaphor of the buffet because I don't like to eat from buffets because I end up putting on my plate too many unrelated foods that don't make a good meal. People do this with their goals all the time. Okay, you may have created a meal or a goal system that has too much in it and you are no longer able to enjoy the different flavors. So that has to change. This is the Sustainable Ambition Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be ambitious and navigate work from decade to decade without sacrificing your life or yourself. And I'm your host, Kathy Onetto. Today, I'm joined by Ayulet Fishbach, who is an award-winning psychologist at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. She is an expert on motivation and decision-making. She has published over 100 scientific articles and has been featured in numerous popular press outlets, including being selected to be featured in the New York Times Annual Year of Ideas. She is the author of Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation, which illuminates invaluable strategies for pulling yourself in whatever direction you want to go so you can achieve your goals while staying healthy, clear-headed, and happy. This is an episode where I have to say I'm geeking out a bit and felt like it was such an honor to have the opportunity to speak with Ayulet, who is one of the foremost researchers on motivation. So in today's conversation, you'll of course learn more about motivation and how it connects to ambition and how to manage our goals. And you'll hear that we have more agency around these than we often realize. We can design our motivation, but also recognize that we are subject to our circumstances and situations. And in some cases, we can change those external factors to better support us. How can we make choices around where we want to pull ourselves and then create the circumstances that support us best in that effort? What I also appreciate about what comes through with Ayulet and also with my next podcast guest I'll have on are two things that seem like polarities, but actually do go together. The first is the idea that it is okay to lead full, ambitious lives. The second idea is what I interpret as a call to hold what we go after around our goals and ambitions with a bit more lightness to be more kind to ourselves and how we function around them. So let's learn more around that. First, I highly recommend picking up Ayelet's book, Get It Done. It's very readable. And then today, let's get an introduction to what she has to share with us. Let's hear more from Ayelet Fishbach. Ayelet, welcome to the show. It's really an honor to be in conversation with you today. Thanks you so much for having me, Kathy. So I often start on the show actually with people's careers. And I wanted before we dive a little bit more into motivation specifically, I was curious what your motivation was to study motivation. There is nothing more interesting than, than motivation, right? So in, in a way, like, I don't know how to answer this question. But I would say that uh, I early on in my education, uh, realized that motivation is really a function of, of where you are, or of your circumstances, of the, the way you organized your life. Uh, I was studying social psychology, which is really the, the study of how the environment makes us the, the people that we are. And so I was just connecting the dots here, okay, like what my motivation is a function of my situation, I study the situation, I should 
study motivation, I was very lucky to have done it by the end of the 90s, which is just around the time when social psychologists and behavioral economists were starting to be interested in motivation. So that, that was just pure luck. Mm, so a bit of serendipity. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that will be interesting as we continue this conversation, like where does serendipity play into this? So in the book, Get It Done, you start by talking about how we need to pull ourselves to reach our goals. And I feel like most of us think we should just naturally be motivated, like rather than proactively shaping our goals or our circumstances in a way to motivate us. So do you agree with that, that many of us don't realize we really need to pull ourselves towards what we want? You know, people tell me that they lost their motivation. And I I find it such a strange statement. Like, you never had your motivation. Like, it's not a thing. It's really uh, you being smart about navigating yourself, about pulling yourself, about creating the, the situation where some things are more likely. It's really about designing the, the best opportunities for you. Uh, you never had it, and so you could not lose it. Then mm. You will not find it again. You need to do something about it. So I was curious, like that kind of says to me, it's an internal job, but you also relate motivation to external things, like what your circumstances are. So how do you think about that? Like what's external versus what might be internal? Oh, I I love this question. I I think that it is naive to think that it's either internal or external. And and let me give you a very simple example. I, I want to wake up early in the morning. I put an alarm clock. Now... The reason that I don't sleep once the alarm goes off is because I'm in a very noisy room and it's very uncomfortable to stay sleeping in in that room. So you could say this is external. This is not me wanting to get up. This is the alarm forcing me to get up. But hey, who put that alarm? That's me. So this is internal. (laughs) Uh, When you put yourself in a certain situation, you are doing this. And then the situation will will carry you over. And, you know, we all know about alarm clocks. This is pretty trivial. Uh, We might forget that we are going to uh, eat the food that is around us and pursue the goals that the people around us uh, endorse and study maybe in the library uh, better than uh, elsewhere and and so on. We need to design these circumstances. So it really... What I take away from that is like we have a lot more agency than we realize. Is that right? Yes. And it's not in contradiction with the idea that we are subject to our situation. These go hand in hand. So that makes sense to me. I I understand that. And, you know, one of the things that I've often heard from people and, and even I feel like more recently is this idea of ambitions steering us wrong or, you know, almost as if like our goals that we've pursued have steered us wrong. They come to the end of pursuing something and they feel unfulfilled for some reason. And so in the book, you suggest that we ask ourselves, like, have we set goals and are they right for us? And I'm curious from your perspective, like, where might you point us to know, like, if a goal is right for us? So a goal might not be the right goal for us, but even if it's the right goal, you might feel emptiness once you achieve the goal. A goal keeps you uh, 
motivated, keeps you energized, that a goal gives meaning to what you're doing. And then once you, you achieve the goal, you might feel like, really? So that's it? And, and that's fine. Okay, That's until the, the next goal. Uh, but the, the wrong goal, the wrong goal might be uh, unhealthy for you by itself. Many teenagers set the goal of uh, learning how to enjoy alcohol. Okay, for most of us, it's not going to be tasty the first time you try it. People uh, set goals that are unhealthy for uh, uh, you know for their body, uh, for their relationship. That happens. Okay, the goal is just not the, the right goal for you. It also happens that the goal doesn't fit with other things in, in your life. It's just not the, the right time in your life. It's just uh, not a good combination with the other thing that you are trying to, to achieve. Okay? So if you uh, want to, to travel the world, it uh, might not be the, the right goal if you also just took a new job. And this job requires staying put. Like, these are the kind of trade-offs that people need to, to navigate uh, when they pursue multiple goals. Let me also say that many times people see conflict where there is no real conflict, like leisure and work often go hand in hand. They don't need to conflict with each other, but other times there is a real conflict and the goal is just not, not right for you. Can you say more about that in terms of leisure and work? I think that people experience tension around this. I literally just got this question around like, oh, I'm pursuing something. I'm putting a lot of effort around this. And yet, how can I allow myself to take a break? I'm motivated to go after this thing, but I know I need to take a rest, but it's really hard for them to allow themselves to take a rest. So they're experiencing this conflict, but I don't disagree with you that this doesn't have to be in conflict. And is it just like then having a mindset shift around this? It is a mindset. We all have many goals and the way we perceive them might matter. We talked about work and leisure. A related conflict is, is work and family. Okay? It's easier for me to demonstrate that the framing effect there, you can think about your work and, and family goals in terms of time, and then they might seem to conflict with each other. You can also think about your work as something that allows you to support your family, to, to help your family uh, grow, and, and then they are uh, no longer in conflict. Often when you think very concretely, things seem to be in conflict. So you know, my students, for example, will tell me that either they stay up all night or they, they cannot finish their homework on time. Okay, so basically they say it's either my mental health or my academic pursuits. But once you think about it more abstractly, you realize that in order to be successful at school or anywhere else, you do need to take care of your mental health. There is no way that these goals are always in conflict. And so it's really the work that you do to realize that these goals all support each other and they make you the person you are, okay, the way you coordinate between them. Yeah. And so in some respects, it's almost like we're almost doing ourselves a disservice, I'm almost hearing, by creating this tension where perhaps tension really doesn't need to exist. And is it just more so learning practices, perhaps, that allow us to get more comfortable with navigating and or managing our time across these different motivations or needs that we have? 
Absolutely. Many times it's just about framing, just about realizing that what you're doing now supports what you will do later. There is room in your life for doing these multiple things. Other times it's actually finding the, the right balance. Okay, so thinking about how much time I'm going to devote for one versus the other, how much resources to uh, devote to uh, every goal. And some goals are truly in conflict. And then we often have a self-control dilemma. Okay, you really think that you should be doing one thing, but you're attempting to do the other thing. Okay, so your, your health might be truly in conflict with uh, some habits, okay, drinking or, or smoking. A and then you might need to find a way to uh, get yourself to focus on what is more uh, important for you. So goal conflicts exist. Often it's self-control conflict and we have strategies that we mm -hmm. study that people use to, to help themselves navigate these conflicts. But just because you, you, you feel that there are many things in your life, that doesn't mean that there is a conflict where you need to give up on something. Do you have any tips or approaches that you kind of lean on most to help people kind of navigate when they do need to? Either maybe it is the self-control conflict or something around that when they are navigating when there is actually a conflict? Yes. Uh, let me suggest two. One is to think about your decisions in what we refer to as, as a broad decision frame. Okay? Uh, what I mean by that is thinking about making these decisions multiple times. Think about uh, every time you would be tempted to skip work and, and might want to call the office and, and, and say that you don't feel well and, and want to take the day off. We found that when we ask people to consider doing this 10 times a year, they realize that they don't want to do this. They don't want to, to lie to their boss about uh, not feeling well. Uh, if they only thought about doing it today, they felt more comfortable with this. A another study found that people were spending more money when they were making one purchase at a time, when they thought about all the times that they would like to buy a fancy bottle of champagne or tickets to the theater this year, they were much more uh, financially responsible. So this is one strategy. The other strategy is uh, uh, consider these temptations in advance. Okay? So reminders of what is going to be difficult are often going to make it easier when you are there. Again, to give you an example, think about some meeting that you have this week that might be tense. Okay? There might be uh, strong emotions in the womb. If you know about it in advance, Okay, if you give yourself this warning, there are sensitive people there, the emotions might run high. It's going to be much easier than if you are in this room without preparing yourself and all of a sudden people are getting emotional, raising their voice, okay, the situation is, is tense. Uh, we, we refer to this as a counteractive control. Okay, Knowing that there is a temptation, you will be able to better counteract it. I was curious, too, about people compromising on goals, like, and whether or not their people are able to, like, readjust, say, their goal, and if, if we're good at this or not. Like, do we do this naturally without knowing it, or is it more powerful to, like, make a compromise on a goal more consciously? I would say that the way we understand consciousness in, in general in psychology these days is that um, it's what we use when uh, the unconscious has failed. 
when things got too complicated. And so to answer your question, yes, we do it unconsciously all the time. Okay, We constantly do trade-offs. Every uh, food choice that you make is a, some compromise between your like, financial goals and what you find tasty and what you find healthy and, and what looks fresh and like how fast you can get it done. And I can keep going. Okay? Every choice is a matter of many goals. But when things get complicated, this is when we need to consciously intervene. <laughs> that is, we, we need to think through the problem. Maybe we are not doing the right trade-off for us. Maybe the, the way we have settled into this is not really our ideal solution. And then we need to do the, the work to uh, realize what is the best way to compromise between goals. Mm -hmm. And you talk about in the book having a goal system. Can our goal system kind of help us navigate making these compromises? And is that another way of us navigating some of these tensions that we might experience? I recommend for people to uh, start by just drawing their goal systems. Okay, so your goal system has your main goals in life. And then for each goal, what are the, the means, okay, the activities that help you pursue this goal? Okay, and it can have many levels. Okay, you can then ask, like, how do I pursue these means or, or sub goals and you know, go one level below? Or you can ask, why do I even have this goal and go one level above? But you end up with some drawing of a network, which is basically what is important for you. What are the goals that right now you are trying to achieve? And importantly, the, the relationship between these goals. Now you can also identify that some activities help you achieve more than, than one goal. Okay? We refer to these activities as, as multi-final. Okay? You might have the, the goal to keep in a, a good physical shape. You have the, the goal to get to work. Uh, well, to work, actually. And uh, maybe you can bike to work. Okay? Uh, maybe you can find some ways to uh, pursue this at the same time. These are the, the multi-final means or uh, what I refer to as, as feeding two birds with one scone. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you using the term fitting as opposed to the other term that's usually used around that. So I appreciate that. I'm curious, along along these lines, I'm going to go back to you kind of saying this idea of like, oh, I lost my motivation. And you're kind of like, well, that's, that's a interesting way to express that. But I've also gotten the sense from people about their motivation shifting, say, or their motivation changing, say, by life stage, like, ooh, my, or my values have shifted. So my, where I'm wanting to put my attention, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on what we should pay attention to if our motivation shifts, or e even if you um, agree with that articulation of thinking about motivation in that way, because <laughs> you might disagree. I agree. Our motivation changes. Our motivation changes during the day. Okay, We wake up in the morning. We are trying to get ourselves to be motivated to do the work that we need to do. It's, it's evening and we are trying to uh, maybe motivate ourselves to spend more time with our uh, kids or the romantic partner or, or, or someone else. Okay? And, and then during life, okay, the, the goals of a young person are different than the uh, goals of an older person. We see uh, moving from 
more of wanting to be in a different place where that I'm now. Okay, so wanting to make progress, wanting to move, to have older people having more maintenance goals. Okay, wanting to to keep my current status, to keep my current abilities, and then life stages. Okay, like you you move, you have different goals. Okay, you become a parent, you have different goals. So our goals constantly change as part of our life. In my framework, we start by understanding our goals. Okay, we need to understand what are the goals that we are pursuing. We need to set them such that they are intrinsically motivating, that they are right for us, that they, you know, they fit. They are not a means to something else. It's the goal itself. And we start there. This is before we and monitor progress toward these goals, manage multiple goals, and last but not least, uh, leverage social support. The second stage, so once we've, you know, identified our goals in the sustaining of the goals, you know, what are some of the top things that people need to pay attention to if, you know, for example, maybe they've hit a bump in the road where they didn't reach a desired goal on their way to their ultimate goal, or they, they get, you know, an instinct in that moment even to kind of give up. Like, where do you kind of point people? I know you have multiple chapters in the book on sustaining your motivation, but where might you point people to kind of stay on the road to kind of sustain their ambitions once they've identified those goals? I, I like that you say maybe you hit a bump because I, I don't think that it's necessarily maybe. I mean, you hit a bump, right? Like, Kathy, you're just trying to be polite here. Like, there are bad days, okay? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are blocks, okay? Uh, we make bad mistakes. We take the, the wrong turn. Uh, we uh, get into a, a fight. We fail on, on the task. So, so this will happen. <laughs> And then a couple of things that, that we can do. Uh, one thing we can always monitoring our progress in terms of the glass half empty or the glass half full. Okay, so this is a matter of framing. Okay? I can always look back at how far I've gotten or look ahead and see how far I'm still from where I want to be. And I can be strategic about it. And when we feel unsure uh, at the beginning of something, it's better to look at the glass half full, it's better to look at what we have achieved when we already made some progress, when we feel confident, when we feel that we have made sufficient progress to be experts, it makes sense to look ahead at what is missing. And we uh, see that when people describe their job in terms of either what they accomplished or what is yet to accomplish, we see that with, with students. Uh, we even see these patterns when we are uh, like solicit donations, okay? getting people to help that if you're unsure whether you can do it, whether like you are the right person and looking back, already you were already helping, this is already going, this motivates. If you're pretty sure that this is an important cause, look at what's missing and that motivates uh, better. Uh, then the other thing that you want to think about is how, how do you respond to failure? What do you learn from it? Okay, and how, how do you uh, get to uh, overcome these setbacks? Uh, no, one, one thing that we tried is asking people to give advice after they had some negative experience. In, in this research, uh, we basically had people that were struggling either with their health or with their finance or you know, with their, their mood. 
And we asked them to give advice to another person that is struggling with the same problem. And they found their own advice motivating more than advice by the expert. The reason is that when I ask you to give advice, I am forcing you to go back to that experience and extract some lessons. I am forcing you to learn. So, you know, you can do it yourself. I love that. And um, I mean, people talk about that, that failure really is a learning process. And so that even in what you're sharing is a reframing in and of itself is how I'm kind of, you know, taking it in, right? Don't, I mean, that's what people say, right? Don't see it as a failure per se, see it as an opportunity to learn. And like what you're saying is by asking people that question, you're forcing them to kind of do that for themselves. Is that right? Yes. It's not enough to tell yourself that failure is like it's a good way to learn. Mm. Okay, you you already know that you've heard it before. Okay, you need to have some strategies of learning from from failure. Yes. Okay. okay. Yep. Yeah. One of them is to actually give advice to uh, someone who is struggling with that problem. That's great. Is there any time where people should give up? Is there, are there clues around motivation when like, okay, yes, you hit bumps in the road, but you know, this may be a point where, you know, you want to actually pay attention because, you know, maybe your emotions are telling you you're not into this goal anymore or what have you. What, what, when do people know? When should they know if it's something maybe they should move on from? Oh, this is a hard question, Kathy. <laughs> uh, th- this is hard because when we study motivation, we mainly study the strategies people can use in order to get somewhere. But then often you say, do you really want to go there? Is this worth saving? <laughs> is-, is this relationship worth uh, uh, saving? Uh, is this a uh, dream to-, to travel around the world still relevant for you? given where you are in in your life. And so we do ask these questions. It's often a matter of uh, what are your resources and what else is is going on in your life. Uh, Ambitious people want to achieve too much, and this by itself is an adaptive psychology. (laughs) you, You want to achieve too much because that guarantees that you will achieve a lot. But it also means that you plan to achieve too much. Uh, we we ran studies on uh, uh, people's optimism. Now, part of why people are optimistic is really just a cognitive mistake. You just don't take into account everything that might slow you down. Okay, so you might plan to finish things more quickly than what is realistically possible. Like do more of what you can actually do. But part of it is motivational, right? Uh, People say that they will finish things sooner in order to uh, get themselves started on this work work project as soon as possible. This makes sense, but it also means that we tend to uh, be late on our work projects and non-work projects. So if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying that you know, we kind of do this to ourselves <laughs> in some ways in terms of like, especially ambitious people where we're, we're taking on a lot and we don't always, we're not realistic about how much we really can do, how long things will take. We're overly optimistic. Is there a counter to this? Like for those of us that do this, how, how do we kind of navigate where we, where might you point us? Well, one solution is just to, uh, 
have a, a healthy relationship with your goals. Okay? Know that you were too ambitious in order to motivate yourselves. It's not really that important to do everything that you put on your plate. Okay? You were just trying to do a lot. Okay? And so, you know, when a, a co-author tells me that they will get me this research paper by the end of the week, I say, great, that would be wonderful. And then when the end of the week arrives and it turns out that they were too ambitious, I say, well, you know you were just trying to motivate yourself. So how about you do it on Monday? That's just understanding that you're trying to motivate yourself. Uh, then uh, if, at, at one point when you put too much on your plate, uh, you need to realize that at this point, this is not enjoyable. This is uh, uh, not purposeful. I will use the, no, the metaphor of the buffet, and I will use the metaphor of the buffet because I don't like to eat from buffets because I end up putting on my plate too many unrelated foods that don't make a good meal. People do this with their goals all the time. Okay, You may have created a meal or a goal system that has too much in it and you are no longer able to enjoy the different flavors. So that has to change. I love that metaphor. <laughs> it's it's so useful and helpful. And a couple of things you're pointing out, like one is how much compassion and kind of empathy you have for like even your colleagues when it's kind of like, hey, you just we're overly optimistic and we're trying to motivate yourself and we're a little too ambitious. And this relates, I was going to ask you, and I think this is a sense of where I'm taking this in my mind, which is, you know, are there any times when motivation kind of goes haywire? And, you know, like ambition, I feel can go haywire at times. And that's what I hear you describing a little bit. Like we're, we're in this case, is it, am I articulating that right? I'm kind of like taking it to the space of like, our motivation is there to help us, but sometimes we can, you know, just in trying to motivate ourselves, we we kind of overdo it, is what I'm taking from your example. Yes, and I want to be careful because it's not all the time. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not everyone all the time. I, I don't think that everybody should just do less. <laughs> Definitely uh, some of us and all of us sometimes should do uh, more but the purpose of setting goals is for us to feel that we that our life is is full, okay, and is is interesting as and is enjoyable, okay, and to the extent that we just feel uh, pulled in different directions and not quite enjoying these goals, then really, what's the the point? There is the dilemma in self control research that self control is is really about like doing what's good for you in the long run. Okay, so self-control is about giving up on the immediate pleasures so that you will benefit in the long run. So they like, don't spend your money now so that you have money for retirement and like, don't uh, eat snacks now so you will enjoy the meal uh, later. Now, the, the problem is that if you take it to the extreme, then you should never enjoy the moment. Okay, you should always give up on, on the now in order to have a, a, some better life in the future. And clearly that's not the recipe for, for good life. And so, yes, we all need some self-control sometimes, but we also want to enjoy the moment. Well, one thing I also wanted to get your perspective on is around ambitions and tied to goals. So I, 
I like to say that ambitions aren't created equal. And, I, you know, I'm learning a lot from you in this conversation where you might debunk this as well. So you also, I think I understood this from your book that you wrote, like, your ambition further varies across goals as you obviously care about some more than others. And I kind of think that people often think that ambition or being ambitious is an unwavering disposition, you know, as opposed to it varying by goal. And you had a great example of this in your book about like when you were in the Israeli military contrasting to say your current work. So what should people know about like how ambition can vary around our goals as well? Yeah, I was uh, probably the the least ambitious person in the Israeli army. (laughs) They were very lucky to get rid of me after two years. And I'm very ambitious about what uh, I do now. I I think about ambition as as your motivation, as as your excitement, as the feeling that you really want to do something and you want to do it well and you want to, to move forward. And while... Personality psychologist might be able to measure which person is more or less uh, ambitious as a social psychologist. I'm interested in what is the situation that makes you ambitious. What is the goal that, that makes you ambitious? I, I look at people that tell me that they are unambitious, that they struggle to motivate themselves. And I ask for what? Like, what is the, the goal? Okay. Uh, Maybe it's not the right goal for you. Change something. Okay? Change your goal. Change your environment. Change the people with whom you, you work. Do something to uh, get yourself to be ambitious again. I feel like we see this a lot, but that people forget this. So, for example, I'm not going to, you know, remember names or what have you. I, I'm remembering this one skateboarder as an example, just who like hated school. But once he found skateboarding, like he became, he went to the top of the sport. You know, it's like he wasn't ambitious about schoolwork, but he sure was ambitious about skateboarding. You know, and those examples exist all around us. But I often think that uh, we don't remember those examples when we're looking at things ourselves. Yes, absolutely. We, we don't remember that uh, they were the things that got us excited. <laughs> And, and the things that, that they didn't. And if you just look through your, your goals or, or your life, you will see that ambition is, is often not, uh, it's like motivation. It's not something that is there and you can use it when you want. It's something that you created. Right. And so in the book, you go through these four you know, areas of kind of defining your goals, sustaining your motivation, um, navigating conflicts. And then you've bring, been bringing up this fourth component, which is the social aspect. And this is, is really important. What, do, what should people know around why relationships and who you have around you is so important around motivation? Uh, we as, as humans, uh, we are social animals. Okay. Some animals, they, they live separately, not us. Okay. Uh, where entire evolution taught us that we walk with other people. Now, we walk with other people on shared goals. Okay. And so we have a team at work. I have my research team. I keep saying we because there are actually other people working with me. Uh, we start a family. Okay. We walk as, as a neighborhood, as a community. 
Other goals are more of individual goals, and we pursue them in the presence of others. Okay, so you know, my exercising goal might be my goal, but I would go to the gym and do it in the presence of others, or in my case, I would do it in the basement in the presence of my spouse. Okay, and so there are other people who might support or not the goals that you have for yourself as individual. What research finds is that we need others for the shared goals and we need others for our individual goals. And when we try to pursue something in an environment that doesn't support that, it's not a recipe for success. So do you believe in this expression of around like you are the collection of like the close five closest people to you? Or would you have that counsel like pay attention to who is around you? But you see, again, it, it's not something that is outside of your control. <laughs> we see that college students navigate themselves toward the people that will support their study goals. Okay? And so they they move away from their party friends and toward the more nerd kind of friends when they know that they should study, when they know that there is something important in school that is happening. And so we kind of intuitively, and if that doesn't work, then consciously move ourselves in the direction of finding social support, of working with other people. What people need to realize is that the idea of doing something in isolation is a bit naive. And, and I think people need to realize that because, you know, we are now in the era of working from home uh, and for many of us working more in like isolated fashion. And this is hard. Okay? Like you need to find a way to have your group there, okay, to have the, the support. Uh, otherwise, it, it's just an impossible task. I really appreciate you bringing this up because it's something that I, I've been even talking about here on the podcast and with others where, you know, working from home, and I know I like that flexibility too, but I'm very conscientious about connecting with people. And I really think that people might not always be thinking about this in, in this work from home kind of environment and want to advocate that um, people are paying attention to exactly what you're bringing up. So just to wrap up, I am curious with just two final questions for you. What is your current motivation or ambition or focus right now? Well, like many of your listeners, too many things. I'm on uh, several uh, research projects that I am very excited about. I want to understand multiple goals uh, in a better way. Uh, I want to understand how to help people cope with negative experience, with their often like setbacks and, and failures by actively seeking it out, okay, by actively paying attention to how things initially feel hard and unnatural and seek this out in order to overcome this. And I love teaching, so I teach my students. I work on a new book project and 
well, I should do less. I, you know, I, I look at you and yeah, it's too much. So yeah. So you'll be working with your own goals and your own kind of chessboard, if you will. Um, yeah. Well, we're very grateful for the research that you take on because it's um, very helpful for all of us as we're navigating along with you. So I'd love to just ask you this final question, like either... Do you have a favorite motivation trick you would want to leave us with or a final takeaway uh, for our listeners? Oh, my favorite motivation trick. Okay, Try to give yourself the wrong advice before you, you give yourself the, the right advice. Uh, I, I recently, when uh, students uh, came here, I asked them, like, what is the worst advice that you can give someone who wants to come here? Okay, and now give me a good advice. Okay, like and now give me the, the right thing. I, I find that often uh, it like it puts you in this like playful mindset, just like thinking about your mistakes and the bad way of doing something and the difficult way before you think about the right way. Okay, I have my assignment for what to try next around this. So thank you for that. Well, Ayelet, this has been a fabulous conversation. I have learned so much. Of course, I read the book, but being in conversation with you, and I've also looked at some of your academic research as well, and yet this conversation has still been further illuminating. So I really, really appreciate it. If people want to find your work, where should they go to look? Well, I would start with uh, Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Study of Motivation, which is the book that you mentioned, and then my, my website, ayelatfishback.com. Well, thank you so much for being on with me today. It's been fabulous. Kathy, thank you so much for having me. Wow, so much wisdom from Ayelet there. And she offers much more packed into the book. Some highlights for me from the conversation. The first, and I shared this in the opening as well, we are more in control of our motivation than we realize. If you aren't motivated or aren't feeling ambitious, it might mean it's time to change something. Is it time to change your situation, change your circumstances, or change your goals? I also absolutely loved Ayelet's metaphor of eating at a buffet table. How can we view our goals and even set up our goals in a way to reduce conflict? First off, are we taking on too many goals and filling up our plate too much? Are we putting together a meal of dishes that aren't complimentary? I just love how she brought that to life. But I also appreciated that she said it doesn't necessarily mean that we should do less. Many of us want to lead a full and enjoyable life. But I appreciate how she complimented that with this idea of how I'm articulating it as going easier on ourselves. Yes, many of us ambitious folk want to do a lot. And I loved how she introduced this idea and this scientific concept of that part of the reason we're doing that is because we're trying to motivate ourselves. So how can we be a little gentler and kinder to ourselves and let ourselves off the hook? both in terms of not having to do everything we put on our list, but also giving ourselves a little bit more leeway when we need a bit more time to get things done. I really appreciated this practical counsel around experiencing failure or when things don't quite go our way and to turn that around into an opportunity for learning. Remember that Ayelet pointed out 
that it's not enough to just say, hey, failure was a learning, but actually to take the step and turn it into a strategy such that you really do learn from that activity. And she said that one way to do that is to turn that into giving yourself advice around that. And I love that she tied that then to the science around finding that when you gave yourself advice, it was actually more motivating than hearing somebody else's advice. So it's a great tip to turn past experiences into learning for yourself and guiding yourself along your journey. What about for you? What surprised you in this conversation with Ayulet? You can hear me in this conversation having a lot of ahas and allowing myself to be challenged and what I might have interpreted from her book or what my current beliefs might have been. How can you put this into action within the next 24 hours so you can also take today's conversation as a learning opportunity as well? With that, thank you for being here with me to learn from Ayulet Fishbach. I'll be back in your feed in two weeks with a new story of sustainable ambition. And make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice-monthly newsletter. You can sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. See you next time.